Time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. All right, let's talk about this big, and I put that in air quotes, big health news that we heard about yesterday. Yeah, the federal and provincial government tried to make it sound like a big deal. It's a big number for most of us. A deal, province, federal government, Ottawa is going to provide BC with $1.2 billion for health care. More, that is, more than they already do. Um well, $1.2 billion is a big number until you look at it in detail and you realize it's not really a big deal at all for any number of reasons. And why is that? Well, BC, first of all, spends $29 billion a year on health care. And this $1.2 billion is spread over three years. They do that, right? They spread it over three years. So it sounds like a bigger number. It's about $400 million this year, coming year, um, $400 million is about 1% of the BC uh, healthcare budget. It's less than the government will pay out next year in wage increases for people in the healthcare sector. So it's not a big amount of money. It, it's way short, Simi, of what the BC New Democrats were seeking from Ottawa. You remember that a national Conference on Healthcare Funding that we had here in Victoria when John Horgan was still Premier of the province was looking for almost $4 billion a year. They're getting $400 million a year, so it's about 10% of the provincial wish list. Okay, so then why make such a big deal about this? Well, because, you know, both governments want to make it sound to the public like they're doing something. So they've targeted this money uh, they they try to say, okay, well, yeah, it's not a huge amount across the board. Health Minister Federal uh, Holland said it's not a panacea. Okay, well, thank you, Minister, for admitting it anyway. Um, but they've, they've targeted the money at improving a couple of things in the system. So there's some money for mental health and addictions, uh, new money there. Uh, so that will that's where that money will go. Ottawa likes to tie strings to this to make it look like they're doing more. Um, it's also going to address the um, balance in acute care between nurses and the number of patients they have to look at. So I see the nurses are saying that actually will help make a difference. That's a good thing. It's not like they're just going to waste the money. That's very important. Indigenous health, another one. But, you know, you think of the story that we're all covering, which is, the number of ERs in the interior and in the north of the province that keep closing, what they said, merit at 16 closures this year. Yeah, um, It's not going to deal with that at all. It, it isn't going to do much that I can see on the other announcement we had yesterday, which was Premier David Eby's town hall on expediting approval of credentials for foreign practitioners, nurses, doctors, and other professions, again, there's a lot of work to be done on that. The, there's a meeting in Charlottetown coming up where health ministers and that are going to talk about what can be done to uh, improve credentialing for doctors, like a single credential for all Canadian doctors. But we're not there yet, Simi. There's, this is a very slow process, and... Uh, one, I, I don't think anybody would ever want to describe $1.2 billion as a drop in the bucket. 
but it's not as big a deal as the provincial health minister, Adrian Dix, and the federal health minister, Mark Holland, tried to make it sound yesterday. Right. Because I was trying to figure this out. Like, well, what, they didn't even really specify which associations or which trades we're talking about here. Yeah. So that one's interesting because uh, the premier did a town hall yesterday in Surrey uh, and it, it was sort of the last consultation before the NDP government brings in legislation, which we are expecting when the House sits next week, uh, re- returns next week. And it will collectively, according to the Premier, increase, expedite, be more transparent, um, be fairer for foreign credentials. So we've talked a lot, Simi, about healthcare workers and credentials for doctors and nurses, but the Premier made it pretty clear yesterday this is going to be a lot more than that. They're talking about construction workers, they're talking about dentists, social workers, there's a whole bunch of areas that will be addressed by this 235 different categories in the province and 50 regulatory bodies. So, you know, a good intentions, yes, Simi, I think that's true. Long overdue, yes, that's true. But the real showpiece yesterday, the real education yesterday during the town hall was listening to people describe in detail what they've been through trying to get credentials here. And it's a nightmare. And mark me down as a skeptic that they're going to be able to fix that as quickly as they suggest they will. Well, you kind of think that if it had been that easy, we would have done it before. Yeah, I know there was a dentist there who talked about, uh, what, taking her three years and $50,000 to get credentials to practice as a dentist in British Columbia, and she's still working as a dental assistant. My favorite was the report of the doctor out of Hong Kong, who's a graduate, among other places, of the London School of Economics, who has to take an English test, an English proficiency test every year, because it's taking so long to process his credentials. And the point that was made is his English getting isn't getting any worse. Right. His English, I'm guessing, is probably better than mine. <laughs> also, if he takes <laughs> certainly it once, on medical issues, anyway. If he takes it once, then you know they're proficient. Why do they need uh, to keep it, on taking it's, it? It's so semi, so incredibly bureaucratic, so overlain with protective associations that don't really want to speed up approval of credentials bureaucracies at the federal and provincial level. I mean, again, there's no question good intentions, no question the premier wants to speed this up. He was very sympathetic yesterday. He kept saying to these people as they outlined their horror stories, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. As I said, no lack of good intentions. But when you hear how these processes work, as I said, mark me down as a skeptic that they're going to be able to speed this up. All right, we're talking BC politics this morning with Vaughn Palmer, and a bit, I guess, a bit of an anniversary, Vaughn? The Green Party. So the fourth party in the legislature, the BC Conservatives, has been getting a lot of attention lately. Uh, the Greens, the third party in the legislature, are having an event in Victoria today. Party leaders, Sonia Firstenau, or deputy leader, MLA, nominated candidates for the Greens at a Victoria Hotel are marking the 40th anniversary of the founding of the BC Green Party. Way back in 1983, in the fall, 
uh, and here we go. The Greens are going to tell us all the wonderful things they've done over that time. <laughs> um, they've had an impact, you know, a, a significant yeah, one. They have. Uh, the Conservatives are talking about what they're going to do, but the Greens can point to stuff that they've been pushing, uh, things they promoted, especially during that partnership with the NDP from 2017 to 2020. Um, the one anniversary, by the way, Simi, that uh, something you first know probably won't be marking today is the third anniversary of the NDP double crossing them and tearing up the power sharing agreement and calling a snap election when First and O had been leader of the party for all of about 48 hours. So uh, that is a sore spot with the Greens and they've been pretty hard on the government ever since. Yeah, I can understand why. Okay. And so, I mean, the, the fact that they're even still around uh, this yeah. long and they've had continued success. They have, you know, um, BC United uh, supporters, people who voted BC Liberal in the past, uh, grumble an awful lot about vote splitting on the right. And I think it'll be a real phenomenon uh, where voters have to choose between BC United and uh, BC Conservatives. But the New Democrats have been dealing with this for a long time. They, uh, for a long time, have had little charts after the election showing claiming uh, their view that uh, the green vote comes mostly from the NDP side. And if it weren't for the Greens, uh, the NDP would have you believe they would have won some of those elections in the past. You can argue forever about vote splitting, but the fact is the New Democrats have been living with the Greens saying they're not good enough on environmental issues. Lately, the Greens have been hitting them pretty hard on the healthcare issue. So it's not out of the question that we may have some ridings in the next provincial election where the green vote uh, will be taking away from the NDP and who knows, it might elect a green, uh, alternatively, it might elect a member of some other political party. It's been interesting, though, watching the Greens because they don't always take from the NDP when it comes to voters either because they have taken in the past from the former yeah. B.C. Liberals. You know, I think that's true, and that's, it was especially true in the 2017 yes. B.C. election. You had a number of people who'd voted B.C. Liberal in the past who'd had enough of the liberals on money laundering and the cost of housing and their staggeringly uh, controversial uh, way they were raising money with giant checks from corporations. And I think you're right, Simi, a number of disaffected liberal supporters went and voted green for the first time. And so it isn't just NDP. And, you know, I think... Uh, BC United or the Conservatives would say they expect to benefit from people who voted NDP in the last and maybe change their mind. I mean, voters don't fit permanently all their lives into little compartments. You don't hear very many people now saying, well, I've always voted for that party and my dad and my mom oh, always did nobody too, says that. I'm never going <laughs> to vote for anybody else. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. Yeah, it used to. You're right. But also I would say that BC has a history of having smaller parties, whether yeah. it is we, for a while there, we had, you know, a, a little BC, we have BC conservatives right now. We've got a little BC reform at one point. We had uh, a small Don't BC Socrates. Don't forget Democratic Alliance, Simi. Oh, You're yes. Gordon Wilson's party. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, how could I possibly? So we do have this history of having these smaller parties. Yeah, we do. And we have a, a history, too, of every 
sort of periodically every decade or so, the parties realign and break up and sometimes change their name and come back into the arena. As I said, the established parties, and especially their paid employees and their leaders, tend to grumble a great deal about the impact of new parties and fringe parties as they see them, and third and fourth parties. But You know, I think there's a theory out there to be made that when you have more parties in the political arena advocating a variety of policies, it can have a positive impact on voter turnout. People um, who go, well, I see the established parties, they're all the same. They go looking for a party that's got stronger positions on, say, environmental issues or a party that has stronger uh, stands on social conservative issues. And they say, yeah, I got a party out there that I can vote for, and they go and vote. So I'm not sure, you know, the parties, as I said, the established ones, think new parties and fringe parties, as they call them, are just all bad news. But from a voter's point of view, greater choice is not necessarily bad news, even though it can lead to an election result you may not much like. Very true, Vaughn. Thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.